We're in uh, the Gospel of John. This week we're in John chapter 17, which for the, the biblical nerds among us is known as the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. It's uh, quite a lengthy chapter again, and we certainly don't have time this morning or really on any Sunday to cover all of it. So I'm really going to pick just one verse out to focus on today in the short time that we have, and it's John chapter 17, verse 3. It should be projected. Uh, You can, of course, look it up in your own Bible. Jesus is on the final night before his betrayal and before his death and before his suffering, and he prays for his disciples, he prays for his people, and obviously we're included in that prayer. And one of the things he prays is this, And this is eternal life, he says to his Father, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. If you've been around here over the last time, over the last years, and certainly as we've been in John, I hope the words eternal life trigger something in you. What I hope they don't trigger is going to heaven when you die. It's not what the New Testament means by eternal life. Eternal life is the life of the age. That's the actual translation of the words. It's the life where God's space meets our space. We've used that term lots of times. It's this, it's this place where it's not just us, but God has joined his space, his life, his person with us. When we, when we talk about eternal life, that's what we're talking about, and that's today, not just in the future in some other place. That's today and right now. So the question is, why in the world would you want to spend any time thinking about this? Why would you want to have anything to do with eternal life? And why, especially for you four, would you commit to joining a group of people who are attempting to live with this eternal life? Why in the world would you do it? Well, for you, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you why you should do it. That's for you to think about and figure out, and I hope in even preparation to today, you've already been thinking about it. But I can tell you why it's important for me, and there are two main reasons, all of which you've heard from me before. The first one is that because God's space has met our space, particularly in Jesus, I... And we, I believe, are never, ever alone again. You are never alone. In that darkest night, in that relationship that won't work, where where you're together, maybe for life, but still feel so lonely. Or when you're on that sickbed, or when you yourself are facing that moment of death and passing on. Because God's space has met our space. Because God's space has met my space. I am never alone. And that's a comfort to me personally. Again, it doesn't have to be your thing. I'm just telling you what my thing is. 
And the second thing is, the fact that God's space in Jesus has met our space, he's entered our broken and sinful space, means that there is promise of reconciliation. Promise of restoration of all things, no matter how broken or painful or evil or unjust or random. You remember the quote from Sam, Samwise Gamgee in Lord of the Rings, and I've used it here before over the years, where he asks Gandalf, I believe, does that mean that everything sad will come untrue? Will everything sad come untrue? And I'm convinced that because Jesus came, because God's space is meeting our space, that it will. Maybe you also remember the famous um, quote from Julian of Norwich, and I was reminded of it last Friday night. Cindy and I were out at a happy hour with a group of people that we work with in the CASA organization. And the lady that I was sitting next to had short sleeves on, and she had a tattoo on the inner side of her arm. And I, I could see it was words, but I couldn't read it. So I asked her what it was. And it was this quote from Julian of Norwich, perhaps you know it, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. She had that on the inside of her arm. I'm thinking about that too. Because God's space has met our space. All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And if you Google Julian of Norwich sometime you will find out that in her physical life on earth, almost nothing was well. There was hardly a person who suffered more than her. And this is the statement we remember her by. But, don't misunderstand me. This hope that all shall be well does not mean that following Jesus ensures a trouble-free or less troublesome life. That's not what this is about. There will come a crisis that will eventually, sorry to be negative here, that will eventually kill every single one of us. We're not going to escape trouble in life. But you are never alone in the crises of life, and somehow, and I don't know how, all shall be well. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. So eternal life, Jesus says, means that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So this eternal life consists in knowing God. And that's what I'd like to try to make a little bit concrete for you this morning. And maybe you've taken some notes already, but now we're getting to the point where I really want you to take notes. But before I move on, I have to say that, that these elements that you will see in just a moment aren't from me. They're from someone that I listen to fairly regularly, I've named, whose name I've mentioned here, Brian Zond. He's the head, uh, senior pastor at Word of Life Church in Missouri in the area of um, St. Louis. And these uh, four elements that you're going to see, as well as the definitions, come from a sermon he gave on May 21, just about three or four weeks ago. They're copied directly from him, just so you know my source. He preached a different sermon on them than I am. 
but these basic elements and the uh, definitions are from him. So as we're thinking about knowing Jesus, God has given us, um, I don't know exactly what the best word is, but maybe it's like tools to help us know Jesus. And there are three of them that point us to him. There's the church, there's Christianity, and there's the Bible. All of us, all of those three, drawing us into this center, who is Jesus? So who is Jesus? Well, here's Brian Zahn's definition. Jesus Christ is the Word of God, the eternal logos, that Greek word that means like purpose, reason for living, assuming human flesh in the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth, and I have added God's space meeting ours in the ultimate way. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the eternal Logos, assuming human flesh. And as we've been going through John, we've been, we've been noting this all over the place. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. We used to not have Jesus, but now we do. And now we know what God is like. And Jesus is the center. God's space meeting our space in a person with flesh and bone and blood and skin and hair, with emotions, getting tired, suffering, enjoying, loving, being persecuted, and all of the things that you and I experience. God coming into our world, and that world eventually killing him but he rises from the dead. That's the center. And then we have the church. The church is the gathered community of the baptized. And in the best case scenario, you would write down these definitions. Again, I'm not forcing you to do anything, but in best case scenario, that's what you do. The church is the gathered community of the baptized who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and seek to live in obedience to the Lord. So when you today, in a new way, join the church, this is what you're joining. This gathered community of people, people of what we call the covenant, baptized, who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and seek to live in obedience to that Lord. And you will also remember from me, hopefully over the years, that we think of the church as a colony and not a lifeboat. Church is not a lifeboat that's saving us from the world going down as a titanic. Titanic. It's not the image. The, earth, the church is a beachhead, a colony, the place where God says, okay, I want you to live like my kingdom in this world. And if anyone wants to know what my kingdom looks like, they should look here to us. That's the church. The next one is Christianity. Christianity is the religion of beliefs and practices 
developed over time by the church in response to Jesus Christ. So what Brian is trying to say here is Christianity has been developing for 2,000 years and developing in all kinds of ways of beliefs and of practices as we respond to who Jesus is and what he has done. So when you join the church, you're joining something that's already 2,000 years old, approximately, with all of its practices and beliefs. You're joining that and then moving together with us into the future to figure out how this Christianity should look as we move into further into the 21st century. And then the Bible. The Bible is the sacred canonical, and by the word canonical we mean that back in the 3rd or 4th century after Christ, the Christians at that time decided that these are the books that we want in the Bible. I'm talking of the New Testament. The The Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, had already been determined. But that's what we mean when we use the word canonical. The Bible is the sacred, and get the sacred part here, canonical text of the church, the scriptural witness to Jesus Christ, and the prime source for the theology of the church. And theology is a big word for how we think and what we say about God. The Bible is this sacred text that the church has taken with it through the ages. It bears witness to Jesus Christ. And it is our prime source for how we're to think and talk about Jesus and about God and about the world and about ourselves. Notice that only Jesus Christ appears in all four of these. They are separate. And notice that only Jesus, well, the the church, I guess, is people, but Jesus is, is the person who stands central. And notice that only Jesus is infallible, inerrant, and authoritative. Now I will quote Brian Zahn. He puts it this way. I believe in the infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God, and his name is Jesus. So the church, the Bible, Christianity are not equal to Jesus. None of them are perfect. None of them are absolute. None of them are free from the culture in which they find themselves or found themselves. Only Jesus is. And the moment we try to place any of these equal to Jesus, we're going to go off the rails. Christianity, the church, the Bible, are ways that God, things that God has given us to bring us to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is perfect and infallible and authoritative. Just a little nod to church history you for any of you who are interested. With, with the Reformation, a very interesting thing happened, and I'm not saying anything good or bad about it necessarily. 
And in the Roman Catholic Church, the center of the worship service is what? Who knows? The Eucharist. Jesus. What's the center of the Protestant or Reformed worship service? I heard it. The sermon. See the difference? If you go into Catholic Church, what's standing up in front here is the place where the Eucharist is served. If you go into a Protestant church, what's standing up in front, like right here, me right now, is the book. I never realized this until I was preparing this this week, but there has been over the years, and I have not done it consciously, but now that I look back, it was conscious. There has been a change in this building. Remember what used to be on the table back here for many, many years? A big open Bible. I'm not criticizing that. Believe me, I'm not criticizing it. But what's up there now? A candle. That's done, I believe, for a reason. Because we're trying to place Jesus central. So as you make profession of faith today, you are, as adults, committing yourself to the community that seeks to follow Jesus, that has a set of beliefs and practices and that reads the Bible as the primary way to learn about Jesus or to learn about God and to follow him as you go through your lives. Actually, what you are doing today, the four of you, John, Leah, Zoe, and Lane, is risky. It's countercultural. And it's enormously challenging. Because frankly, we baby boomers are leaving you a mess. We thought with Woodstock that we were going to get it together. We thought that if we just gave peace a chance, it would work. We thought that all you need is love. We thought that if you just imagined there's no heaven, and imagine there's no borders, and imagine that everyone was living in peace, that it would happen, and it ain't happened. And we are leaving you a world that I don't think in every state is worse than it was, but it ain't a whole lot better, and in some cases it is worse. And especially the church. Church is falling apart all around us for all kinds of reasons. And you are standing up here today and saying, okay, I want to be part of this group. It's risky. It's countercultural. There aren't very many people doing what you are doing. I haven't asked you, <clears throat> but I would bet that there's probably no one in your school may not be quite true, but pretty close. Very few who are doing what you are doing today. You are choosing to move from empire, there's my word, to community. You are declaring 
that Caesar is not your king. You are declaring that there's no nation that's your king, not even the USA. But Jesus is your Lord. You are choosing self-sacrificial love over selfish exploitation of the other and of creation. That's what you're choosing. You are choosing relationship and peace over violence and war. And you are choosing to include, if you'll do it better than we did, to include the marginalized, the poor, and to give a voice to those who don't have one. And you are rejecting, if you, if, you, if you get this thing that Jesus is praying for, you are rejecting the individualism of our culture and of our American church for interconnection, for becoming part of this web of belonging, for understanding in new ways, driven by Jesus, that your well-being is my well-being, and that your well-being is our well-being, and that we are interconnected, and that none of us is free until all of us is free. And that's what you're choosing. That's a hard road in front of you. I'm not going to make it easy. It's a hard road. You're going to need Jesus to do it. You're going to need other people to do it with you. You can't do it alone. But as you do that and as you work at it, you begin to experience and feel and, and be a little bit warmed and encouraged and perhaps have some meaning in your life as you, as you experience that God's space is meeting our space. Together with an imperfect church, joining with Jesus' followers of the past to develop a Christianity for the future, reading together a Bible that tells us about Jesus, you and we together are, and I'm quoting Ellen Davis here, offering a glimpse of heaven to a world straining for hope. For that is finally why we are called together into this body of Christ, to open a window into heaven and, by the quality of our common life, to offer others a vision of their God-given humanity. And I hope and pray that you will take on this challenge and perhaps do a better job than we have done. Amen.